Brilliant. Well, thanks very much, Elliot. I'll leave you to read for us uh, from P. Samuel. Thanks very much. David asked, Is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They summoned him to appear before David. And the king said to him, Are you Ziba? At your service, he replied. The king asked, Is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Ziba answered the king, There's still a son of Jonathan. He is lame in both feet. Where is he? The king asked. Ziba answered, He is at the house of Machir, son of Amil in Lodabar. So King David had him brought to Lodabar from the house of Machir, son of Amil. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Paul, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honour. David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied. Do not be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. I will restore you all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, What is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? The king summoned Ziba, Saul's steward, and said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring him the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, the grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, Your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands his servant to do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son named Mika, and all members of Ziba's household were servants of Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. He was lame in both feet. Very keen for someone else to read that. (laughs) Thanks, Elliot. If you'd like to turn, first of all, to Acts chapter 13, there's like a potted history um, which Paul tells the people in Antioch that sets the context um, and the history before the bit that we've just heard read to us. So it's Acts 13 and from verse 16, and it says this. Fellow Israelites and you Gentiles who worship God, this is Paul speaking, listen to me. The God of the people of Israel chose our ancestors. He made the people prosper during their stay in Egypt. With mighty power, he led them out of that country. And for about 40 years, he endured their conduct in the wilderness. And he overthrew seven nations in Canaan, giving their land to his people as their inheritance. All this took about 450 years. After this, God gave them judges until the time of Samuel the prophet, and then the people asked for a king. And he gave them Saul, son of Kish, of the tribe of Benjamin, who ruled for 40 years. After removing Saul, he made David their king. God testified concerning him, I found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do 
everything I want him to do. So rather than me trying to summarise the context, I thought that was quite helpful um, and that we could use it. So it's addressed to fellow Israelites and Gentiles, so that's us. Um, It speaks about God, I love this, endured their conduct. So he's a patient and gracious God. The people asked for a king. Now these were people that were under God. You see there in verse 21, the people asked for a king. But they wanted to be like other nations, have their own human king, and Samuel, you can read it, warns them against this, but they persisted. So God gave them Saul. Saul, do you know the familiar story, followed his own ideas, he disobeyed God, and choosing his own way was actually his downfall. So God removed Saul and made David their king. So Samuel followed the Lord's leading, anointed David. David became very great friends with Jonathan, his, um, Saul's son. And Saul's jealousy of David and his spiritual collapse threatened David's life on many occasions. But David was a man after God's own heart. says it there in verse 22. And you can read this in the first book of Samuel. How David, despite his own failings, because David was far from perfect, he didn't avenge Saul for his terrible treatment. And there's a lovely... If you, um, if you can now turn to 2 Samuel, if you've kept a finger in there, well done. Um, in chapter 1, I've not seen this before, or not really remembered seeing it, there's a lament that David wrote and sung. Um, after Saul, this person that had been pretty horrible to him for a long time, and his dear friend Jonathan died. And we won't read all of it, but just in verse 23, is this, maybe think, is this how you'd respond to someone that's just been horrible to you? He says, Saul and Jonathan, in life they were loved and admired, and in death they were not parted, they were swifter than eagles, they were stronger than lions. Beautiful, isn't it? David, a man after God's own heart. We see some of that grace in David's life. So our passage today, which Elliot read for us, is you need to turn right and go to chapter 9, and if you'd like to do that, we're going to just step through um, that account. Now this account is thought to be somewhere between perhaps 15 and 20 years um, after the death of Saul and Jonathan, and David at this point is established as, as king. Now we can estimate that because Mephibosheth, Jonathan's son, was five at the time, shortly after, um, immediately after Saul and Jonathan died. And he was now a father himself, so they predict it's kind of 15 to 20 years later. So in verse 1, David asked, this is in 2 Samuel 9, David asked, Is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now, we don't know who David asked, but he was a king, so probably those that were serving him. As we've mentioned, David wasn't perfect, but he was a man after God's heart. And he had previously promised to honour and protect Saul's household. And we'll look at that in just a moment and how that has its roots in his uh, covenant 
relationship with, with Jonathan. So he made a promise. And we don't know what prompted David at this point, but something did. And it's a challenge to all of us, I think. It's a challenge to me. You know, is there something I've said that I would do? And I've maybe forgotten to do it. And if something nudges me, I think I really must do that. And when was the last time I did something of kindness to someone? We'll come back to that in a little bit of time. So kindness begins with an act of will, then action. So these people working for the king, they made some inquiries and they found one of Saul's servants. Verse 2. Now there was a servant of Saul, Saul's household, named Ziba. And they summoned him to appear before David the king. David, And the king said to him, Are you Ziba at your service? Or your servant, it says in some translations, he replied. The king said, Is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? So this wasn't just an expression of human kindness. It's rooted in David's covenant with Jonathan. God's kindness. It was honouring a covenant made before God. And you don't have to turn to it, but in 1 Samuel 20, it says, of a bit of narrative that happened between Jonathan and David, this is um, the covenant. Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, for we have sworn friendship with each other in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord is witness between you and me and between our descendants between your descendants and my descendants forever. Sworn friendship, the Lord being the witness. There's the covenant. And if you read the narrative in 1 Samuel, it's quite easy reading if you struggle to read big chunks. It's dramatic. It's about real people and real relationships. And this relationship between David and Jonathan is particularly special in terms of um, uh, this, this covenant bond. My brother-in-law and his wife, so Jackie's uh, younger brother, uh, they renewed their wedding vows. They've been married 15 years. And they did that just about a week ago. Why do you do that? I guess you do that as a, as a reminder, as a recommitment, a restatement. It's an interesting thought, isn't it? They're married because they love each other. They don't love each other because they've got a marriage certificate. It's kind of the other way around. It's probably an interesting one to discuss over, over dinner. Did I, do I love Jackie because I'm married to her? Or did I marry Jackie because I love her? And it would seem to me that the, the commitment here between Jonathan and David to look out for each other's family, to care for their descendants and their descendants, he says here, forever was a commitment founded on a covenant relationship. It wasn't like, well, I better do it because I've, you know, got a, or I've signed a bit of paper saying that I wanted to. No, this came from something much deeper, built on covenant love. So carrying on the, the narrative in verse 3, Ziba answered the king, actually, there is still a son of Jonathan. Doesn't name him. He's lame in both feet. Now this is a tragic story and the the narrative about Mephibosheth and how this happened is capsulated in just one verse. It's in 
2 Samuel 4, 4. It's just one verse, and summarized that one verse. Following the death of his father Jonathan and his grandfather Saul at age five, Mephibosheth, his nurse, feared for his safety because he was heir, and the king and the king's son had been killed in battle. She rushed, carrying the child, but she fell with Mephibosheth, and his feet were permanently damaged. It's a tragic story, and here Zeba describes him as, yeah, he's, there is one, he's lame in both feet. Well, where is he in verse 4, David says. Zeba answered, he's at the house of Machir, son of Amiel, in Lodibar. It's not totally clear where this place is. Um, there's an idea of the kind of region, but it was a bit of a nondescript place for someone that the royal descendant. How your fortunes can change. Verse 5, so King David had him, that's um, Mephibosheth, brought from Lodibar, from the house of Machir, son of Amiel, read that again. So the king had him brought. What was going through Mephibosheth's mind? It's both an honour and a fearful thing to be brought before the king. He was brought there. I don't know if you've ever watched um, Undercover Boss. Have you ever seen that programme? I quite like watching that. Um, It's where the executive of a business um, goes in disguise. They normally have their hair cut off and grab a bit of stubble or something and try and blend in and they do different jobs within their business, and it gives them a perspective of how people are feeling, how effective they are, how they treat their customers. But the bit that's great is right at the end, all the people that the boss has spent some time with, they get summoned to head office. Now, they're not sure something's going on, because there are cameras and everything there, but um, they're all really nervous. I've never been to head office before. I've never been... What does he want? What does he want? And... Um, I, it just came into my mind when I was thinking about this that I wonder whether Mephibosheth was thinking, I kind of know what kings do to the previous dynasties. They tend to wipe them out. And I'm remaining descendant of Saul, who, let's face it, wasn't particularly kind to David. So what happens in verse 6? When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David... He bowed down to pay him honour. David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, or your servant, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. I will restore to you all the lands that belong to your grandfather Saul. And look at this bit. And you will always eat at my table. So he had good reason to be fearful because it wasn't unusual for kings to wipe out rival households. But instead of revenge, David remembers his covenant. He remembers Jonathan and it's kindness, not revenge. And I think revenge is not as sweet as kindness. It says in Deuteronomy, it's mine to avenge, I'll repay, says the Lord. Jesus said, love your enemies, do good to them. But this is more than just an absence of revenge. It's a positive presence of covenant love, isn't it? What a surprise for Mephibosheth. Undeserved favour and generosity from the hand of the king who restored his inheritance and a permanent welcome 
to live as a son of the king. Remarkable. So his appearance and his disability, his grandfather's history, his background, his current insignificance in the world wouldn't keep David from showing the gracious, loving kindness of God. God's kindness. And you can let your imagination run a bit, can't you, and maybe think, actually, I wonder whether when David saw Jonathan, he saw Jonathan, we saw Mephibosheth, he saw something of Jonathan, just like you see in the children as parents. We don't know. And to have that presence with him, eating with him, who knows? So in verse 8, Mephibosheth bowed down. What is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? That tugs at your heart, doesn't it? The perspective he had of himself, his value, that you should notice a dead dog like me. It's a very humble response in the face of such kindness and honour. And true humility, I think, is, isn't it? It's a beautiful sight. It's the opposite of the ugliness of pride. So what happens next? In verse 9, the king summoned Ziba, Saul's steward, and said to him, I've given your master's grandson, that's Mephibosheth, everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson to you of your master, like a reminder, <laughs> will always eat at my table. And then Zeba had 15 sons, 27. So it's a big family. Some significant resources. It's interesting, isn't it? David appointed others to care for Mephibosheth. Machir, who was mentioned earlier, the son of Aniel, sounded like he'd already cared for him over the years. But not only did David provide what Mephibosheth needed, land, inheritance, he blessed him with his presence. Not with a T, presence. So if you notice, there are four times in this account, and it's not a very long account, four times in the account, David says that he will eat at my table. I could just imagine Mephibosheth's jaw dropping the first time, and by the fourth he might have thought, hang on, he means it. Now, Zeba's an interesting character. If you carry on reading through um, to Samuel, his motives are, not, well, not always pure. Um, but his, I think this account is quite encouraging to us, really, because despite the weaknesses in all these people, including David, because we know of David's life beyond this incident, we see the undeserved grace of God poured out in great measure, don't we? Despite the frailty of the people involved. And as we yield ourselves to God and receive his grace, it's an unparalleled blessing. And it was encouraging, and thank you, Ozzy Mary, for sharing with us uh, a glimpse of some of the things in your life and the Lord's grace in your life, his undeserved grace.
that's encouraging to us. And in this story, we see this brotherly love and brotherly kindness between David and Jonathan and how that is an expression of God's own heart. So how did Ziba respond? Verse 11. Then Ziba said to the king, your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands his servant to do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Love to have been a fly on the wall when he turned up for the first meal. I wonder what David's household would have made of this arrangement. A lame outsider at the king's table. Yet it seems that undeserving grace isn't influenced by public opinion. David did what he knew was the right thing to do. In verse 12, Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah and all the members of Zedah's household were servants of Mephibosheth. Gracious kindness flows, doesn't it? It flows to others and this young boy, Micah, his father, Mephibosheth, no doubt would have witnessed the king's kindness to his father. He would have seen that. He would have taken it in. He thought, wow, I hadn't expected this. I thought I lived in Lodabar, but dad's regularly with the king. Extraordinary. He shared in that blessing. Gracious kindness does flow to others. And then finally, the last verse. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. He was laying in both feet. The last sentence of this account, the constant reminder of his brokenness. And yet now, in the context of dining with the king. It's a beautiful story, isn't it? So what does this mean to us? Um, hopefully as we've sort of stepped through it, Maybe the Lord's shown you some things. Um, I know he did with me as I went through this. There's a couple of ways we can perhaps apply some of this to our lives and see some parallels with um, our situation before God our Father. So firstly, Mephibosheth, he was damaged by a fall. And we're damaged by a fall. Paul said to the Romans, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But David sought out Mephibosheth to show him kindness because of his love for Jonathan and the Lord seeks you because of Jesus. For the Son of Man came to do what? To seek and to save the lost. while we were still helpless, while we were still sinners, while we were still enemies of God, he did this. And we have no right to be eating at the king's table in our fallen state. Another point is Mephibosheth had a reverent fear of David. There was an honour and a respect and he bowed down, it says, several times. Do we stand before our God aware of our sin and dependent on his grace? It says in Hebrews, brothers, sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place, the presence of God, draw near, let us draw near. 
undeserved, isn't it? And we need not fear because Jesus is with us. He's our saviour. He's our advocate. He's the friend of sinners. And he provides all we need for fullness of life and purpose. Last week we sung a a song in the service, um, the one, um, What Greater Gift. And the last verse says, um, It's so sad every day, outrageous love is turned away, and men choose death instead of life, rejecting you for an earthly prize. So there's a challenge in this. There is this undeserved grace. There is this invitation to eat with the king that we don't deserve, that Jesus made possible. But people choose death instead of life. They reject him for an earthly prize. That's a challenge and a caution to us this morning, isn't it? And finally, David didn't just give. Remember, he gave land, he gave inheritance. But he invited Mephibosheth to live in his presence. It says in Romans, that we're adopted as sons. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And the Lord invites us to eat with him. And speaking to the churches, you know, I stand at the door and I knock, if you hear my voice, open the door, I'll come in and I'll eat with that person and they with me. This language of eating, dining, closeness, presence of God. So let's be people who seek out those to whom we can show kindness. As Ozzy and Mary shared and others have shared, this church is a place where God's kindness is shown and it's a blessing to many of us. And let's be people who keep our promises as well. So if we commit to do something, let's, let's do that in God's strength. But most of all, let's begin by receiving the invitation of the king who sought us, just like David did, blessed us with undeserved grace, just like David did. We're saved sinners in Jesus, aren't we? Those that he's lifted from the pit and put on a rock.